Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This is our final episode before Thanksgiving 2017, and Joe Kefauver was kind enough to bring in a little treat for us today. <laughs> One of your favorite spots, Franklin. Pom Pom's Tea House and Sandwicheria. This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Pom Poms, and we're going to have a little Thanksgiving feast here today. Pom Poms where every week is Thanksgiving <laughs> week. When you have the Mama Lingling Thanksgiving sandwich on the menu every day of the year, it's always Thanksgiving. That sounds delicious. I'm going to have the uh, one of the press sandwiches, the turkey with ginger cranberry chutney. Franklin, what are you doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same. You can never get enough chutney. True. Very let's, true. Let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We America great again. From the Home Office of Aligned Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, the debate over a federal paid leave policy. What happens to employers who decide not to volunteer for it if it passes? And how would a federal policy change things for employers at the state and local level? Plus, there's news out of Washington from the Labor Secretary over wages and overtime regs. That's all part of this week's legislative scorecard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, alongside Joe Kefauver and Franklin Coley. Joe Renzel recorded something for us a little bit earlier inside the bubble. We'll be hearing from him in just a little bit. We're going to spend a good portion of this episode talking about paid leave and what's happening on the federal level. Franklin, you were in Washington, D.C. this week for a speaking engagement, a visit to the bubble. You learned a few things. Give us some context. (laughs) You professed a few things, I guess we should say. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. (laughs) So what did you learn about paid leave and what direction do you think this is going? We're going to have an interview um, with the VP of Government Affairs for RELA in just a minute. But what did you you pick up from the vibe there? As is appropriate, let me... uh let me just tell what I went to D.C. to tell people about, <laughs> which is, you know, the conversation around paid leave in D.C. is following a multi-year, almost a decade-long conversation around this issue out in the states and in cities across the country. You know, we now have eight-ish states that have paid sick leave laws in the books. We have a lot of states uh, approaching that number that put have put parental leave laws in the books we have cities tons of cities 30 or 40 across the country that have paid sick leave laws and so really this conversation that has been taking place in different jurisdictions across the country has forced a conversation in dc around this issue and so um that's that's how we got to where we are today and in some ways the conversation in dc is about coming forth with a policy that's more palatable to businesses and to employers, eases the burden on them while also allowing paid leave for frontline workers. All right. So let's add some uh, additional context with an interview uh, our guy in the bubble, Joe Renzel, did with Evan Armstrong, the VP of Government Affairs for RELA. Let's listen. All right. Well, we're here uh, with Evan Armstrong, Vice President of Government Affairs at the Retail Industry Leaders Association, just had a successful uh, Labor Employment Committee meeting. Uh, who'd you hear from today? Uh, thanks, Joan. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, we heard from a number of different policymakers, including Congressman Tim Wahlberg, uh, the Staff Director for Workforce Policy at the Ed Workforce Committee, uh, but we also heard from Congresswoman Mimi Walters, uh, who just introduced 
um, you know, her paid leave bill, which is getting a lot of positive reaction from the Republican conference in the House. Yeah, this is something we talk about a lot, um, you know, and our audience is mainly, you know, operators from across the country. And so paid leave is something that they deal with at the state and local level and, you know, interesting developments in terms of it becoming part of a Republican plank in terms of the presidential. And now we got this bill out there. What does it do? What do we think some of the obstacles might be? What it does, uh, well, to back up, the, the, the bill is called the WorkFlex for the 21st Century Act. Uh, and what the bill attempts to do is create a voluntary federal program for employers to opt into. Uh, and if they opt in, they are required uh, to do a certain uh, couple of things. Uh, they are required to give a certain amount of paid leave days to uh, all employees based on years of service for that employee and based on the size of the employer. So, for example, uh, Relive member companies are some of the largest employers in the country. They would be at the top level and be required to give upwards of 20 uh, paid leave days for full-time employees who had been in service of that uh, company for five years. Uh, the second piece of uh, uh, the program is to offer some flex scheduling option and in the bill they uh, outline uh, six options uh, but they leave it open for employers to come up with creative, innovative, uh, flexible scheduling options beyond you know the normal uh, telecommuting or bi-weekly scheduling. So uh, if a company opts into this program uh, and does both of those uh, things they would be they would gain preemption or a safe harbor from state and local uh, paid leave bills uh, that we've seen grow in number in the last few years. So you know for national companies, this is a huge benefit uh, to get relief from you know the state and local ordinances that we've seen, uh, but it does uh, require them to do uh, something on paid leave. Yeah, and I think that's the carrot, obviously, right? For the for those states that are companies that are operating in a lot of different states, you know, the the patchwork is just becoming more and more untenable. You know, kind of two parts here, both political and policy wise. You know, what do you see as the obstacles? I mean, we, you know, people think, oh, the Republicans are in control. This is something that you know might actually happen now, or but you know, Congress takes a while to act on certain things. You know, what do you see as, as some of the obstacles and, you know, if you had to crystal ball a timeline, you know, I know that's difficult, but, you know, any thoughts you have associated with that? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest obstacle is that getting anything through a Congress uh, is very, very difficult. Uh, even if the Congress is uh, held by one party, uh, both the House and the Senate and the White House, uh, to sign a bill, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so I think uh, that being the overall obstacle is there. Um, in addition to that, it's that it's a new idea. Uh, it's a new bill proposal that nobody has seen before. It's uh, the first time it's been introduced uh, in the Congress. So uh, there's going to be a lot of education uh, and certainly a lot of education for the Republican members of Congress who I think are catching up on paid leave and how to talk about it. Uh, they've seen that this is a growing issue. Uh, momentum is on the side for legislative activity on paid leave. Um, and they are hungry in the House on the Republican side for something to talk about in a positive way uh, so they are not seen as a, as a no caucus on paid leave. So uh, this uh, bill tries to uh, balance um, you know, having a voluntary program so it's not a federal mandate and uh, really getting the buy-in from the business community which will help uh, bring Republicans along in support. So, um, you know, I think Mimi Walters said at the meeting she's talking to members all the time. She's doing presentations to the Freedom Caucus, to 
uh, the moderate Republicans. She's really trying to get out there and get support for the bill. Um, in terms of timeline, you know, she's very ambitious about getting this bill passed in the House sometime around May of next year, uh, which would coincide with Mother's Day, which, you know, being a D.C. cynical person, you know, that's a very good optics. And I'm sure the Republican leadership is looking at that. Um, I think that's a pretty ambitious timeline, uh, given that it's a new proposal that, uh, again, a lot of members are going to need to be educated about. And what about uh, Democrats? You know, read some articles about just kind of opposition from them in terms of cutting the legs out from under what some of the policies at the state and local level have in terms of the preemption stuff you talked about. You know, is this going to be, you know, from, from a Congresswoman Walters perspective, a solely Republican player, or are they going to be trying to go across the aisle, do you think? Well, are they going to have to? Well, the Congresswoman is intent on getting Democrat support, and she believes that she will at the end of the day because it is a it is a genuinely um, earnest attempt at paid leave. It does offer paid leave for full and part-time workers. Um, and the part-time worker uh, issue is really the focus of a lot of the activist community. They really focus in on stories about part-time workers, part-time hourly, uh, having no access to paid leave. So uh, she believes that she's gonna get democratic support. Uh, however, I think it's interesting that the Democrats are now using a states' rights argument, which is usually the domain of Republicans in Congress. Uh, they're saying, well, why do we want a federal uh, preemption of where state and localities are laboratories uh, of democracy on paid leave? So uh, I think that'll be a very interesting issue to play out, given that Republicans tend, tend to use that line, uh, you know, trying to say we don't need a federal solution because we want the states to take care of it. So. Um, I think, again, it's, a, it's an uphill climb for Congresswoman Walters, uh, but there is a lot of support for the bill already with the U.S. Chamber and SHRM and uh, the National Association of Manufacturers, uh, so she's off to a good start. That's great, and uh, you know, you mentioned the timeline of May, you know, being ambitious. I guess this might answer the question, but you know, we're expecting 2018 state legislative cycles in particular, local as well, election year for many of those folks. We expect a lot of paid family leave laws to, to um, you know, pass through from a legislative perspective, depending on the state, depending on the market. Do you think these efforts at the federal level in any way stem that? Um, should we be looking at perhaps a less volume or more? Or, you know, what's your gut telling you on that? Well, I think it's important to, to note that the Walters bill does not explicitly preempt paid family leave. It is targeting paid sick leave. So... It won't do anything to stem the tide of paid family leave. That'll still be out there and something that will have to be addressed at some point. Um, but even if it did preempt family leave ordinances, I think this would actually accelerate work at the local level because they know that there's a federal bill out there uh, that could usurp their authority on this issue. So if anything, I think there could be more, uh, not less. Uh, one final question we have here. You had a chance uh, to meet our partner, Franklin Coley, yesterday. He spoke at the uh, Labor Employment Committee meeting. Did a, did a pretty good job there, I thought. You know, do you feel like his kind of um, sloppy, chic attire, his look really plays in D.C., or does he need to button that up next time he comes? Well, you know, D.C. Uh, has always been a very buttoned-up, you know, polished uh, atmosphere, but uh, maybe uh, Franklin Coley is... Uh, is really targeting and looking for that Steve Bannon disheveled look uh, that's become a little bit more in vogue in the last six months here in DC. So uh, I don't know if that was his intent, but uh, I think they're, the, the shaggy look works. It's, it's good to have goals. He needs yeah, goals. Absolutely. That's helpful. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking some time with us today and 
and keep up the good work on the RELA front. Um, and we're always happy to, to participate with your group. It's a, it's a strong group of, of professional folks there. Well, I appreciate being here. Thank you. So, Franklin, there was a reference to your... Excuse me, I would like shag- to speak for a second. <laughs> it was a shaggy chic. Was that the, was that the reference that was made, Joe? I, I think it, was, it wasn't shabby. I don't know. Shaggy. Shaggy chic. There was definitely a Bannon Bannon comparison. I don't know how much Steve Bannon and I have in common other than the fact that the D.C. establishment (laughs) is coming after us. The D.C. (laughs) establishment can't handle what we have to say, and they're coming after us. So, listen, I I have beautiful golden locks. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not going to hide that. Sometimes you got to let them flow. That's that's right. And in fact, <laughs> they're flowing onto the floor currently. In fact, I even actually before that speaking event, I I put a little extra Dapper Dan in the in the hair to to keep it under control. It was extra swirled. I'm a Dapper Dan man. I mean, not like Evan and Renzel that had used you know three or four cans before. Like Renzel's WD forty. That's right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't meet that standard, but I did put a little extra smell them in the hair. All right, so let's get to some important stuff here. And one of the things that was discussed in the interview is the fact that this is uh, not a federal mandate, which means there's probably going to be some operators who are out there saying, okay, so we don't have to do this even if it does get passed. So what is the counsel to somebody um, when they hear that this is voluntary? Look, we've been, we've been talking about in this office forever and numerous times on this podcast that, you know, this is a conversation that has been long coming and is here. And, the and fa- it's more or less over at this point. It's over. There's, you know, most people, you know, uh, agree that there should be some level of leave policy, right? And that's very different from where we were just two, three years ago. And in Washington, D.C., you know, there's always been the conventional wisdom, oh, something like that never happened. It's dead on arrival on Capitol Hill because of the politics, blah, blah, blah. Now it's in the, in the middle of the Republican conversation. You've got a Republican White House and Republican legislation and, and now inclusion in the Republican tax bill. So this is not just a conversation on the, you know, on the fringe. It wasn't just a conversation in the middle of the Democratic Party. Now it's a conversation that has arrived in the middle of the Republican Party, which means it has arrived. So for operators, there's no denying this is happening. You know, there's only decisions to be made about how you approach it and if you approach it. And, you know, do you wait till there's a national standard to jump into the space? Do you get out ahead of it? And there's no right or wrong answer there. Everybody has to make those decisions for themselves. But the wrong answer would be being in denial that this is happening. But you're both understanding of the fact that this is not a one-size-fits-all situation. So how people decide is going to be different depending on their business model. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, if... You have 30 or 40 restaurants, whether you're you know, a, a chain or you're a franchisee group in, um, let's say, California and New Jersey, where there are you know, a bunch of different standards depending on what city you're in, you're obviously going to be more incentivized to participate in this program than someone that has a bunch of retail or restaurant locations that are um, you know, not subject to requirements. That being said, the market is already going this direction. Employers are going to start going this direction. There's a political will to get something on the books. And, you know, I think this makes a lot of sense, helps employers, helps employees. The one thing that, you know, I guess Joe and Evan kind of touched on is the politics of this are going to be interesting, right? Because um, 
Democrats, you would think, well, they want an all-out national mandate, generally speaking. The labor community certainly wants an all-out federal mandate. It's probably not going to happen, and it's hard to imagine the dynamics where that would occur, particularly right now. Um, this, you can see why they oppose it for that reason. It's not a mandate. It's voluntary. It provides a safe harbor from other mandates that may be, uh, you know, higher requirements. That being said, it's going to be very hard, I think, for Democrats to stand up there and vote against something that provides an opportunity to give paid sick leave and parental leave to a huge swath of employees um, across the entire United States. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how those politics and that pressure kind of plays out as this conversation continues. And, and what the what the labor community says, yes. because it's a huge you know, huge issue for them in terms of their political agenda, in terms of their organizing agenda, and you know, it remains to be seen how they they play on this. But you know, for for operators that you know don't have these leave policies, um, you know, you you have for some time been kind of finding yourself outside of the of the job labor force mainstream, being less competitive, and you have very quickly now found yourself outside the political mainstream. So there's a reckoning coming. One way or the other, we always say to people, you will have a paid leave policy in two, three, four years. The question is how you get there. Are you going to wait for the, the, the government to mandate it, or are you going to find a way on your own? So there's, again, no right or wrong answer, not being, you know, um, pejorative on any, any one side. It's just the reality is you will be there. Real quickly, does this make it easier? If the federal government passes something, does it make it easier for states and local governments to do something? It's a weird question. Let me let me answer it a little different way. I will tell you, Republicans up and down the ticket now kind of have a free pass to get out front of this issue, right? Because Republicans in Congress and even the Freedom Caucuses said they could vote in support a paid leave bill. So now Republicans across the board have the wiggle room at the state and local level to be for paid leave. I do not know that this necessarily manifests, though, in state or local policy kind of pushed by Republicans. I mean, Really, this conversation is Republicans providing a, a national or a, or a federal policy to bring uniformity. So I don't know that you'll see a big push like that in states like Maryland, you know. Yes. Which, which we, we saw Governor Hogan veto a paid leave bill, you know, put forward by the, the Democrat legislature. I think those types of scenarios where you have split government, I think Republicans find themselves in an increasingly difficult position to oppose or, in that case, veto legislation. It's time for the legislative scorecard. These are the top items affecting business operators around the country. Let's start with wages in Franklin. Secretary Acosta was on the Hill this week. What did he want? He was in the Hill and doing other public events for Apprenticeship Week, which has nothing to do with wages, but he was questioned. <laughs> he was questioning a lot of different things, wages being one of them. So one of the questions that he fielded uh, at a couple of different events this week was related to the new overtime rule. What's the Labor Department going to do? He didn't give any firm commitments in, to anything, really. But the one thing that he indicated that he was interested in looking at and potentially supportive of was the automatic escalator, the cost of living escalator, which when the previous administration put that in the overtime rules, the first time it had ever been done, the business community opposes it, and Acosta has at least indicated that he's willing to consider it. Another thing, too, that he was asked about was, um, was he going to require uh, nonprofits that are affiliated with unions to um, make them essentially 
go through the union disclosure process just like a regular traditional union would, and he said he was investigating it. So um, I think a lot of people will be watching those as well as a bunch of other developments in the Labor Department. All right, so sticking with wages, uh, a couple items out of Minnesota. Kefauver, what do you have out of Minneapolis and St. Paul? Yeah, the Twin Cities are, are, are getting after it. So uh, Minneapolis last year, as we all know, passed a $15 ordinance um, and the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce is suing to try to block that from, from taking effect. They tried a similar tactic last year uh, with the paid sick leave ordinance. They sued. Um, so you got to admire their persistence. You know, if we, if we can't legislate, we'll litigate, right? So um, we'll see what happens with that. I suspect probably a similar outcome. Um, and then across the river in St. Paul, you know, we just had a new mayor elected that ran on a city, uh, ran on a $15 minimum wage. Um, but we got a group of servers uh, that are mobilizing up there, same group probably that was mobilizing in Minneapolis uh, on their wage issue, asking for a tip credit in any new mandate. Minnesota is one of, I think, seven states that does not have a, a tip credit. So operators there pay the full minimum wage in addition to servers get tipped. So a lot of activity up in the, up in the Twin Cities. In New Mexico? Yeah, so Las Cruces, uh, small town in New Mexico. They've had a cost of living uh, uh, trailer. They, they kind of forgot. They kind of, yeah, they forgot they well, had Well, it. the minimum wage there is in an automatic stepped increase, and the cost of living adjustment outran the stepped increase and caught everyone flat-footed. So the city council went back and mended it and basically canceled out that cost of living escalator and, and go back has gone back to the stepped increase. So, so the wage will not go up in 2018. It'll stay at 920. It'll go by the step up, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then the cost of living escalator will kick in a year or two down the road. I suspect there will be a collective groan from the viewers over, or from the listeners over this next one, but Montgomery County, Maryland, we're going to say it for one last time, I hope. Crab cakes and football! That's what Maryland does! Kefauver, tell us, what did County Executive Ike Leggett finally do? It's all coming to an end, Sean. The storyline is running. Let me course. let me go ahead and predict that Montgomery County will stay in the news. Oh, it'll yes. stay in the news, yes. but yes. on the fifteen dollar an hour front, yeah, San Francisco. <laughs> I like that. On the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage front, uh, it's a go. It's signed requirement by twenty twenty four, I believe, right? By twenty twenty four, yeah. So the, the mayor, the, the county executive, Ike Leggett, signed it this week. So the the issue is done. But as I said last week, they'll they'll be back and. Look, have look no to go fear. higher. They'll come up with, with another reason to make headlines. San Francisco of these. Does that mean the Redskins are as bad as the 49ers? Is that what that means? Ooh, as bad only. as? <laughs> it's terrible. All right, let's get to a big one, tax reform. Um, Joe Renzel is not joining us for this top items, but uh, you, guys can, you, you guys can take tax reform for sure. Uh, House passed it. Uh, Senate yep. injected health care into it. Yep. And, uh, you know probably ideologically driven, but it's also a way to pay for it, right? This has to be revenue neutral. It's part of the deal um, if they're going to pass it through the budget process with a simple majority. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this still has a pretty good ways to go. I, so the House passed their version. The Senate version is going to be different, which means it's going to have to be the two bills will have to be reconciled in a conference committee. And it's... You don't think adding a repeal is going to kill it? On the Senate side? Well, you know, it, it, it brings those few senators that defected on the health care back into play now and then back in the conversation. You just saw, you know, so we're, if the mandate goes where, where are they going to save money? Medicaid. 
You just saw the voters of Maine last week vote overwhelmingly to expand Medicaid. How does Susan Collins now vote for something that, you know, kind of indirectly goes after that whole equation? And so, you know, as Franklin said, I understand the intellectual piece of this. You know, I'm not a D.C. guy, thankfully, um, but the politics of it make me scratch my head. Yeah, I mean, some of the, well, we'll see. Some of the leadership thinks that when the rubber meets road and it's one vote, that they're going to, they're, you know, there's going to be one or two Republicans that are going to sink tax reform, that they will be whipped into line, and that they and the Republicans will get this over the finish line. Um, so we'll see. There's going to be a lot of politics. There's going to yeah. be a lot of horse trading. There's a lot of different stuff on the table as part of this package. Um, it's going to be a process. All right. That's a awfully short legislative scorecard. What, what, what happened? Just a short week. It's Thanksgiving. Time of the year. It's time of year. Everybody's Whoa. on breaks and Thanksgiving. Shocking. Things are not getting done in D.C. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Everybody's headed to their uh, eggnog. What's what's the typical drink? Spiced, pumpkin spiced cider or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. What is what I is it know. that they had yeah. in North Carolina back then? Moonshine. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that. Yeah. Little little molasses shine. Never hurt nobody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's that work, work that into our turkey sandwiches that we've got on the table here. On behalf of everyone at Align Public Strategies, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week.